microbiome, which of course the last 10 years has really taken off. We have a greater understanding of the little things we can't see. And we'll talk more about that in upcoming podcasts. We'll talk a lot more about nutritional aspects and of course, just overall general deficiencies and insufficiency. Even in today's world of 2024, you'll find that a lot of people are nutrient deficient. And several reasons, they're not eating properly, they're not eating well, they're not eating enough, or they're expending more than they're putting in. Mentoring with Geraldine is a bite-sized practitioner podcast for naturopaths, nutritionists, herbalists, coaches, and practitioners. This podcast responds directly to the needs of you, the practicing natural therapist. We have interviews during the holiday season and business and mindset support each week, so you'll get the variety you need to enjoy and stay motivated in your practice. Don't forget to subscribe to receive the weekly episodes. And if you want to connect with me, always check the show notes because that's where you'll find the links to book appointments and of course, to join the Academy, the membership group where there's constant connection and community with like-minded practitioners. Now, let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mentoring with Geraldine and the Bite Size Podcast. How the devil are you? So, excitement, excitement. For the next five weeks, we've got Brad McEwen with us. Now, Brad has been a naturopath, naturopath, nutritionist, herbalist, the whole nine yards, all the rest of it for the last 25 years. And he has a number of specialist areas. He started out working mainly in cardiovascular, and then he moved into chronic fatigue, and then from there, he segued, it was mental health, cardio, and metabolic. He's written papers, co-authored papers, and he's great. You may have heard him before on the podcast. If you haven't, go back and have a look because I've spoken with Brad before and it's always really great when I have him on. And we spent a bit of time emailing each other because we wanted to have a bit of a series on mental health. Here we are at the start of the year. We're going to have clients who struggle to get back to work and get back to life in general. I mean, last year was tough, wasn't it? We'd come out of COVID, there were still all the restrictions, and now we're supposedly out in the real world. But we've all had revelations from that time when we were locked down. We've all changed, and the world has changed around us. We've got some hideous wars going on. We've got natural disasters left, right, and center. And so mental health has to become a priority for us. So let's get stuck in. We've got five podcasts for you. And this is number one. And I'm going to let Brad introduce himself properly because he has so much to share. He's got so much knowledge. And you need to know a little bit about his background and to know that he mentors in all of these areas. These are not my specialist areas. These are Brad's. And if you need help and support, you can book an appointment with him for you to talk about your clients. So just know that you can do that, that Brad is there for you. He's a member of the ATMS, as I am as well. He's a fellow. We're both fellows, aren't we? So he knows his stuff. He's full-time at this. He knows what he's doing. And so it's fantastic. Thank you so much for giving me some of your precious time, for giving all of us some of your precious time to share all of these insights over the coming month with us. So please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about you. Thank you for the wonderful introduction so far, Geraldine. I'm very excited about being on this podcast because it's a new year, a new topic, a new avenue for a lot of people. And January is already setting itself up to be very exciting, including a series of podcasts. Mental health is a very big issue. We'll be spending this whole month just discussing it, and we can probably spend a whole year's worth of information going through it. So just a bit of a brief background, again, on myself, Dr. Brad McEwen. I have a PhD at the University of Sydney. 
I'm a naturopath, herbalist, nutritionist, and this month I've celebrated 25 years of uh, clinic, which is very exciting milestone for anyone. It's um, just very exciting in general. Yes, I'll have some um, naughty cake or something later today. Just I won't mention that live, you know, not at all. So just going through and we're discussing online beforehand, I had the pleasure at the end of 2023 having a couple of co-authored papers come through, one specifically on nutrition and lifestyle medicine on mental health focusing on depression and the other paper focusing on sort of the causes and the background of depression. And I'll provide the information of that so Joel then can send that out to everyone later on to have a bit of a read. It's a lot, a lot of information for us to go through. So We'll have that in the show notes along with the links to be able to book in with Brad as well. So they'll be in the show notes of each episode so you can check out the papers and you can check out how to contact Brad. So yeah. So with holistic mental health, you've been working in this area for a long time. You've sort of segued into it. How did the flow happen from cardiovascular where you started to where you are now? It's a very good question to start with. It's very interesting how things start. So I was always interested in matters of the heart, so cardiovascular disease. And as I was in clinic, I was noticing a lot more, even back 20, 25 years ago, a lot more sort of mental health, depression, anxiety, just general stress coming in on the sides. And people weren't looking at that. They were just looking at the actual heart or the blood pressure or the cholesterol. They were looking at the physical, but not necessarily the emotional side. So I got to thinking there must be some kind of link here. So it started to just sort of develop from that angle where all of a sudden I started saying, okay, this person has a history of depression or history of anxiety, overall stress. They're a 55-year-old male presenting with XYZ. They're a business executive and they've had stress for 20 years. Well, that ties in with all their symptoms. So there's a lot of different avenues you can sort of look at. And I think that's the exciting thing we're going to be doing over these next five podcasts is I like to see it as a bit of a journey. We're going through the journey of sort of mental health and the different topics we're going to be covering. We're looking at like the causes of depression, nutrition, lifestyle, you know, herbal medicine. So lifestyle is a very big area. So looking at meditation, mindfulness, etc. So there's quite a few big areas we're going to be looking at because I just do see it as a journey with most mental health conditions, but just general health in general. You'll find that there's a journey from beginning and let's go back in a timeline kind of effect to where things happened along the timeline and then focus on what's happening now. Because people always think about, I've got a person presenting in front of me with XYZ symptoms, for example, but we can actually treat someone for the future as in like preventive healthcare, we're focusing on the future, you know, strengthening and helping that person deal with whatever's coming, but also go back onto the past and look at, okay, this person does have a history of X, Y, Z. What can we do to actually improve that? Whether it's a digestion related, because we can talk about serotonin later. So whether it's, you know, digestive related, whether it's overall nervous system, they may have had a shock, post-traumatic stress, Something else like that happened in the past, which could be greatly affecting them now, but it's so far in the background of their mind, they're not thinking of it. And that's the sort of one of the big journey elements of mental health is it can be a snap right now, like all of a sudden it's come on right now, there's been a huge stressor, or it could be in something that's been building up for a very, very long time. And it's that straw broke the camel's back effect where you just kept putting on these pieces of straw and all these pieces of straw, so to say. And it's okay, okay? And then one day it's like, it's too much to handle and something has to crack, as they say. Something has to happen. That's right. That timeline of finding out from your client what has happened over that timeline is super important. 
because that line, never been well since, is never more important than when somebody that straw has broken the camel's back. Because when did this change? When did your life change? You might have always felt stressed for whatever reason. You grew up in a stressful household. You still have a stressful household. But what is it? When was that changing moment? And it might have been that holiday where you got barley belly. And then things just started taking a dive from there on down because you never really got back on top of what was going on. That gut never really repaired or... Or something, you know, somebody died, something happened. And it's generally finding, isn't it, that timeline, using that timeline for your clients and making sure that we find that never been well since moment. It's super, super important in, across everything, but particularly in mental health, there's always that what really not only broke the camel's back to make you come to see me, but what happened just prior to that to start piling on those pieces of straw even more in maybe even a greater way. What was the big moment that we've really got to find out? You know, when we really explore those causes of depression and of mental health issues, because as you've said, biological, we've got the physiological, we've got environmental factors that we have to look at. And that's all along that timeline. And the interesting thing about the timeline is that the timeline starts from when the timeline starts. And that could have been age zero, age 10, age 20. And the phrasing of never well since could be multiple never well since. Mm. Like he never, he got back to 80% health, for example. And then something else happened and then something else happened. So you've never got back to optimum health. And that's something as you know, as a naturopath, nutritionist, et cetera, that's what we look at is you know, not just treating the cause and the symptoms, et cetera, it's optimizing health and how can we build upon those foundations and really improve someone's general health and well-being and sort of outlook on life. And that's the exciting thing of what we do. Absolutely. Let's really tuck in today. I mean, today's more about this overview and I know that you've got some really good points that you wanted to bring up about the overview. So, I mean, we've got the timeline. We're going to ask that client. We're going to delve in there, remembering that this person, especially if they're suffering from depression, probably can't have a long appointment with you. They won't do the hour and a half that traditionally people are doing, which I'm trying to get people to do an hour. They may be able to only tolerate like 40 minutes with you before they're so exhausted, like your person who has chronic fatigue. They can't handle a long appointment. You exhaust them, it takes them too long to recover. So it might be we have to have a number of repeated appointments or we communicate with them in a different way to get more information. There's that session of emails with them to gain that timeline and that background from them rather than having long appointments. So when we're asking some of these questions and we're looking at some of these areas, where do you look at first some of those lifestyle changes perhaps that we would delve into after that first appointment? So one of the first areas I look at is, again, with the timeline, is to sort of try and work out where everything started and where everything's gotten worse. And what I thought I'd do is just put together a couple of little points first. I've got some side notes on the side to try and help keep me on Love track because I will go on track, which is where we do half our work, isn't it? <laughs> so I will sort of look to the side a little bit from time to time. But the main facts I wanted to talk about is mental health and well-being is not just the absence of a health condition. Optimal health for us to get out there, enjoy life, be a family, work well, enjoy rest, have good sleep. It's the whole aspect of overall health. And people always say, oh, you can't see mental health, which is true, you actually can't. But you can see remnants of it when you're talking with someone. You can see different aspects. You could be on a street and uh, the old story of the car backfiring and someone shudders and it's like that shock sound. And it's not necessarily a person who's been in sort of the military. It's just that shock sound 
that makes a difference. And they're little things that you can pick up during a conversation with someone as well. You take note of the body language and we'll probably do a podcast separately on in the future on taking consultations and body language and what to look for. Because that's a very big thing because a lot of people give a lot away without even telling you. They just, they give you all these hints. And if you're busy writing down notes and doing stuff and not looking up, you miss everything. Yeah. So you need to look right at the person that's a start. So I thought I'd talk about a stat that came through recently and I have to get the numbers right. Between 2020 and 2023, so the last year, 42.9% of Australians aged 16 to 85 experienced a mental health condition. They said that sometime in their life or that year, because the stats are quite high. And then you think about it, that time period, of course, is during COVID isolation. The timing of it was perfect for us to look at the stats. But what you'll find is there's normally anywhere between sort of three to five year period. So this rolls back. They've been doing this for a very long time. And I found that statistics are nearly half the people that you'll meet have had some kind of mental health. Yeah, I'll use the word issue. It's not really, it's not a condition, it's not an issue. It's not really a right word for it, is yeah. it? Yeah. But um, people know what we mean when we talk about this, that they've had some kind of mental health change during the last few years. And that's a very big deal, like people going from bustling, hustling down to sitting in their, their chair at home doing nothing because they, they couldn't go out. That was a big deal, big change. And that's something I want to remind everyone about is whenever we look at statistics and look at all different numbers, we need to take into account the world at the same time. And those stats are quite high, but if I look back over previous years, they're still in their 30s and early 40s as percentages. So it did increase a little bit, not as much as I thought. But remember, this is reported. Australian Institute of Health and Wellness and Australian Bureau of Statistics. So there are a number of people, I'm going to say, haven't reported a health condition, meaning we could actually be having 50 60% mate. Yeah. Because everyone's had stress at some part. And stress is not just mental health, it's an overall effect, but that's classified in part of this area. So what is depression is a basic thing. And again, I've got some notes on the side. Depressed mood, sadness, anxiety, irritability, agitation, loss of interest in everyday activities or some activities, particularly things that you actually like. And that's one area I'll get a lot of practitioners, health professionals to look at is if you've got someone who you know, might be a 16-year-old, always loves sport, always loved dance or always loved something, now they no longer like it, they no longer do it. That's a change. That's a significant change. Could be a 25-year-old, 35, you could throw any age at this where it's something they've always enjoyed and they stopped doing it. That's letting you know that something's changed in their life. Yes, sometimes I'll use the word bored. Sometimes we get bored with things. You've been there, you've done that, you move on. But this is something that someone really loves and really enjoys and then all of a sudden they stop. They enjoy reading because reading is very easy and then they stop. That may not mean anything to other people, but as a health professional, we go, well, hang on, that's a significant change. They did that to educate themselves or it's a novel or something else like that and they've changed something. That's quite a big part. And of course, you've got the insomnia or hypersomnia where there's a lack of sleep or too much sleep. They don't get out of bed. Later on, we talk about stress. I always say to people, it's always good to be six out of 10 for stress, which sort of might sound a bit weird, but when we talk about stress later on, people understand. 10 out of 10 puts you into bed, for example, and zero stress keeps you in bed because there's no sort of efforts to get up. So yep. that's the kind of area we need to look at. You need to sort of have that little bit of use stress, that positive stress on the body if you're going because that's how things grow and develop. People go to the gym, they put extra stress on their muscles when they lift heavier weights for them to grow. So think of it like that. If you use the same weight and the same activity all the time, 
muscle doesn't grow, it doesn't change because it's not been stressed to make that change. And one thing to really think about is there's a big, big link between mental and physical health. So the body will start showing aches and pains and lots of different weird symptoms where someone will say, you know, I've got aching knees, but I don't run or I don't do anything physical or something like that. And yes, it could be the way they sit. It could be as simple as that, or it could actually be this sort of physical manifestation of something happening in the body. Yeah. There's so much going on with the whole body, with stress. You have to have some stress. You don't want to have no stress. It's when that stress gets out of balance and out of whack that our, our person is going to struggle, our client's going to struggle. The underreporting, I think, is significant. And everyone, I think, in every medical, any modality, us, everyone agrees massive underreporting because people will just put up with it. I mean, there's the, the Gen X, all of the reels and TikToks and all the rest of it are about Gen X just putting up with everything because no one's going to listen to them anyway. So if that's true about everyone of my generation, then that means it's massively underreported because they'll just put up with things. And it's significant as well, the stopping of doing things when you were talking about that. I noticed it particularly with my elderly mother. So she was put on Instagram, not herself. The things she's put on Instagram are bits of wall and floor and things like that. She's accidentally taken a photo and uploaded it. But she followed all her grandchildren and everybody else. And suddenly I went to visit her and I was like, oh, mum, go on to Instagram. She said, oh, I can't remember the password to get in. Oh, it's not charged. So she had all of these fallback positions, all of mm. these covering statements. Whereas in actual fact, she'd forgotten how to do it. Right? She's got dementia and she was covering her dementia really, really well. And so she was writing notes about her day. So when we phoned her, you know, what have you been up to, mum? She'd look at her notes. What did I do today? So she's covering all these things, but things like, oh, it's not working. And then, so you make it work, you put it in front of her and she does nothing. You've actually forgotten how to do this. Oh, do you want to read? Oh, yes, now this is a good book, but stopped reading. All of those things, those are things that we can see if we take the time to notice. These are the big changes that she was covering for herself as her dementia got worse and she wasn't able to cope with things. She was covering. Now, lots of people were missing that. My sister was like, oh, no, she's just lost the power cable. No. You get it working, put it in front of her and you'll see what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, she can't do it. So those are those changes you were talking about. And those are changes for dementia that can happen with Alzheimer's at a much younger age. It can happen with your depressed person because they haven't got the energy even to turn the page of a book, to lift the phone up. They just don't want to do it. The thought of opening social and the trauma of what you're going to come across when you open social media, it can be too much for them. So these are all significant changes for people that we need to ask others about or notice when we're looking at someone and we ask those questions. So really good points that you've been bringing up. Thank you. And you just made me think about, I was reading a paper many, many years ago and it was published around World War II time, so in the early 1940s. And they were doing research in the area. Of course, Europe was you know, not going too well at the time. And they were researching countries nearby the war zone and they were working out their stress levels were very, very high. Their blood pressure was very high. They had lots of symptoms because the fear of the anxiety of the war, everything happening was just across a border that's a line in the sand kind of thing. So that's another thing. It's that anticipation of the stress and everything going on. And no one thought about that. They were just doing normal medical health checks nearby, for example, and that's what they noticed. And then, of course, they were looking at the people in the war zones themselves and they got a lot of stress. So it just makes me think about, is your stress nearby and you've picked it up kind of thing? So it's not always the stress that you have. It could be the stress around you. 
It could be workplace stress where you're good, yeah, you're fine, your position's good, you're working well, but there's a stressor at work and that's causing a problem. Someone else may be stressed. Mm. So yeah. there's a very old saying, a problem halved is a problem solved. Everyone's heard that. I then ask the question, but whose problem was it to start with? So if it's a problem halved and you've taken on that half and it wasn't yours to start with, you're now got that extra stress on the, on your body. And as humans, you know, we like to help each other out and look out for each other. And for some people, of course, you look out for 24 hours a day, for example, just due to different relationships. And that's enough to sort of cause that stress or someone going through something and that can cause you the extra stress. So it's sort of, there's a lot of direct and indirect mm. mechanisms going on. And, and that's where I thought, we could just mention a couple now for people to sort of have a bit of a read up on as well, because a lot of it's quite interesting. Some of it's well known, of course, yeah. and some of it's like, hmm, what can we think about the next sort of five weeks and going on from there? So I thought I'd start off with the good old classic genetic and gene expression, because they're the ones that people like. Genetics, we get them from our parents and their parents and their parents, et cetera. So we can't really change genetics as such. We can work with the machinery of the genetics, I like to say, we can work with the metabolism, we can make things work more efficiently, but the gene is encoded. It is what it is. And one of our favorites we talk about, of course, is the MTNHFR gene polymorphism. Everyone's heard of this. If they haven't, you're going to now. Lethalene tetrahydrofolate reductase, it's quite a long word, so MTHFR. And we sometimes call it the mother-father gene because we actually get it from both. So all your genes are from both people. And I was reading a paper recently where they said there's an increase in the percentage of people with this gene. And I'm like, well, yes, because if your grandparents and then your parents and then you have this polymorphism, and a polymorphism means the gene's not working properly. That's the short version of what I can say. When you have children, it's more likely they are going to have this polymorphism, this gene not working effectively as well, because that's the way how genes work. You pass it on. But one thing I'd like to note is the gene is still working, because if it wasn't, you and I wouldn't be here talking now. Let's go. It's going to be extreme. We wouldn't be talking here right now because the gene wouldn't have happened. We wouldn't have had methylation and we wouldn't have had a lot of happen. biological processes occur and we wouldn't be here talking. So we are still working on this. The two main ones we talk about is the C677T and the A1298C. And that's just the letters are what's changed. So I want you to think of genes in this case as like the alphabet. We've got A, B, C, the normal stuff you're told when you're very young. And then all of a sudden, there's like a dyslexic moment in the gene code, and the letters get substituted out, and therefore the gene doesn't work properly. And if you see from that point of view, that can happen very easily. A physical stress, a chemical stress, a biological stress could have happened during pregnancy. It could have happened, it doesn't matter when, really. Um, it's happened. And you'll find that anywhere between 30 to 60% of the gene is still actually working. It's just not working effectively. And that's something as a health professional we can look at. I don't test for it anymore because the prevalence is so high. I'm not going to waste anyone's money anymore. It's just too expensive. It's a good test because then you know it's positive or not, if you know what I mean. But if we turn around and take a good case history, you'll find that there's a lot of stuff in there anyway. Mm. So there's a family history of cardiovascular disease or stroke or mental health or something. It's more likely going to be there. So why don't we, oh, use the word pretend, why don't we pretend that it is? And we can work on it because we're not going to harm someone by making their MTHFR gene work more effectively by using the classics of an activated folate. I tend to use levomethylate glucosamine. That's the glucosamine salt of um, folate. It works very, very well on 5-MTHF, the active form, I should say. 
high water solubility, very well absorbed, highly utilized. I use that one. I've chosen that one and it works very well with patients. If you think about the activators of B2 and B3, they activate the machinery. It allows it to keep working more effectively with the different steps. So, I mean, the simple fact is why wouldn't you use the activated better product? So it really doesn't matter what the test is. You're using the advanced product for everyone. That's it. If you're using the advanced product, you're going to hit the mark for those who don't have the polymorphism and for those that do have the polymorphism. So I only use activated products. I don't use non-activated. So you won't see me recommending a supermarket product, even though it's got its hostel, because it's not activated. A lot of the chemist stuff isn't activated. I'm choosing the ones that have got all the activated components. So I'm covering my bases, saving my client by having a look at that past, taking that good history, taking that timeline history, finding out about their parents, grandparents, et cetera, where you can. You're going to be able to use a better product, an activated product. You've just covered your bases. That's it. And something to look for is I always say to people, the old classic disclaimer, Always read the label, follow directions for use of symptoms persist consultant. You know what I mean? Like we're going to say that every episode, but it's like, that's something people need to do is actually look at the label, see what's in your product and understand what's in there. If you don't understand, you talk to someone or even better, see someone first yeah. and they'll direct you to it. So we've got the active folate. You've got mecobalamin, sometimes referred to as mecobalamin. That's the active form. It's a mucilator form of B12, pyridoxal 5-phosphate, which is the active form of vitamin B6. Nicotinamide riboside chloride, that's the B3 activated form that's doing, it's gained a lot of popularity the last couple of years with the NAD link with anti-aging. I don't know how we stop aging, but we can. It's a different topic. 30, I'm still 30. <laughs> Tell my family I'm 30. My son is 23, so it's a little bit difficult age-wise, but we're getting there. We're figuring it out mathematically. Well, there was a movie, remember, where everyone stopped aging at 30 and they had that band on, remember, and that put credits in. So you are telling a good story there. And then you've got you know, riboflavin, 5-phosphate as well, so it's similar to the B6 form. Not every B vitamin has an active form. No. no. Um, or an active form available because the body will activate. I use active for the vitamin, activate for the body. So the body will activate a lot of these vitamins, but they it can't always do it properly. If your machinery is not working well, don't want to sound like a robotic way of saying that, but that's the way the body sees it. If that enzyme's not working properly, it's not able to metabolize it properly, that's when you're going to have problems. Yeah. So that's where sort of we need to upgrade or upregulate that machinery. And it could be something as very simple as adding an active B complex in there just to start the process, to get the machinery up and running, get the energetics of the person up and running. And remember, we just talked about one gene. I gave a presentation in New Zealand a couple of months back and I showed the whole biochemical pathway of the body and it was on a full slide. You couldn't read the writing. Oh, that's so one, yeah. small that, you know, that one. And that's it's like, it's such a magnificent sheet of information that you can't yeah. read it. It's so small. You need to have a wall for it. Yeah. And that's the whole biochemistry of the body. And the best thing is it had part one. It's like part two is a totally different area. So I look at that and say, well, these different machineries, all these different mechanisms, all these different enzymes all work, but what yeah. do we need? We talk about delta-5, delta-6 desaturates with inflammation. I know it's not on the topic right now, but it could be. They also need B vitamins for metabolism. So you're working on anti-inflammatory pathways as well as energy pathways of the Krebs cycle, electron transport chain, and then you're working on the MTHFR all at once. So you can be very targeted with your nutrients and your herbs and everything, but then at the same time have a holistic view of what you've just done because you've worked on more than one pathway at once. And that's where 
we do very well as health professionals. You can target certain areas for health. And then what are your sub-targets? What else is happening at that time? And that was just an example of just one enzyme pathway we've been spending a bit of time on now chatting about. It's just it's so simple to lose track by just talking about one. But then when you see where it sits, methylation, detoxification pathways, all these different things that's involved with nervous system, liver health, yeah, brain function, and the system metabolism. There's so many different areas that it's involved with. You can see why it's so important to have this gene working more effectively to then allow the rest of the body to cope more effectively. Yeah. One pathway can many roads kind of thing. We've talked about that MTHFR. So what about some of the other lifestyle changes or modalities that we can use to support our clients? Because, I mean, we should be sharing our clients. I, As I said right at the beginning, I don't see people with cardiometabolic problems or stress well, stress I do, with depression and these more severe mental health issues. I share them. I pass them on. So what other modalities could we share these people with that means that they're going to get a greater holistic support network around them? That's a very good way of introducing the next part, what we could do next, because as I mentioned earlier, I've got a couple of little dot points on the side. So <laughs> if I go through them, we'll see the journey. Nutritional, of course, it's one of the big ones. You know, what we eat and drink today lives and breathes and tomorrow kind of thing. So the uh, you are what you eat statement rings true every single day. So if you eat well, you are generally well. If you eat crap, generally are crap. So it's sort of, you know, if you look at it, that kind of thing, it's what fuel, if you want to be very mechanical about it, what fuel do you put into your car you know, helps its performance or hinders its performance and you put the wrong fuel in. So when we look at nutritional aspects, we're looking at one carbon transfer metabolism, which is methylation, tryptophan pathway. So tryptophan's in our nuts and seeds and animal products. But if we have a B3 deficiency, we don't shuttle that properly and goes or doesn't go anywhere. It's transported and metabolized to serotonin. So if we have that working effectively and metabolizing it, we end up with a proper metabolism of serotonin and utilization. If we don't, it goes down the carnine pathway and doesn't get metabolized properly and you miss out on that serotonin link. And that's just simple as having a broad spectrum of nuts and seeds, legumes, and if you have chicken and fish, white meats, etc., chicken red meats as well, you can spread it out across the diet very, very easily. And if you have some B3 with it, which is also in the same foods, funny enough, that will help you metabolize it more effectively. And with cysteine, we've talked a lot about that since 50, 60 years or something like that. And with cysteine's around, I see it as a bystander on its own. It's just transporting cysteine, methionine. It's a shuttle bus. It just drives around the body and just sort of does its thing. But when it gets too high, you'll find it's always involved in inflammation, oxidative stress, versus carrying the wrong passengers on the bus and they're rioting or something like that, leading to the damage to the shells. That's the way I see homocysteine. It doesn't always cause the problem, but it's generally found there. So they're the rioters causing lots of problems with that inflammation. The microbiome, which of course the last 10 years has really taken off. We have a greater understanding of the little things we can't see. And we'll talk more about that in upcoming podcasts. We'll yep. talk a lot more about nutritional aspects. And of course, just overall general deficiencies and insufficiency. Even in today's world of 2024, you'll find that a lot of people are nutrient deficient. And several reasons, they're not eating properly, they're not eating well, they're not eating enough, or they're expending more than they're putting in. And that could be the business executive that's frying their brain with inflammation versus the labor outside fixing our roads or building housing, etc. So nutritional deficiencies can be caused by those three elements. 
And in some people, it's all those elements. Uh, you can see someone, they're drinking a soft drink, for example, for breakfast. That's their breakfast. And then they go outside in the heat and they're building and they're doing stuff and it's not really helping them nutritionally. They may feel good because they get a caffeine hit, sugar hit or something else like that, but it's not really fueling the right flames, you know, the mitochondria. It's not allowing their energetic pathways working. It's fueling the fires of inflammation instead. And that's a very sort of, it's a good area we work in, but it's an area I'd prefer not to work in because it shouldn't be happening in the first place. It's funny about what we do as health professionals. Sometimes we don't want to see certain things because it really shouldn't be happening. But we see it every day. Neurological, of course, nervous system takes on a lot. I'm always fascinated, and I was fascinated from when I was very young, of how the body works. Yeah, you did those classes in primary school, et cetera, how body, how things work. And you go to sleep and you wake up, whoa, what happened there? The heart kept pumping, the kidneys kept filtering, the nervous system kept going. Everything keeps going without you thinking about it. Even right now, we're talking and thinking. You know, it's automatic. And that's what got me excited into it, that you're not making these things do that. It's actually automatically right now we're breathing and talking at the same time. It's automatic. body doesn't need to tell it to do it. And that's a neurological link. That's a fascinating element of health where these things work well and then they don't work well. The areas that we look at, gut-brain access, putting together that digestive gut axis nervous system brain function serotonin like it's all this whole area that yeah we've always as naturopaths nutritionists always sort of worked on the gut first and a lot of people yeah. didn't always know why we knew there was something and then over time we learned more with the science you got hippocrates saying all of these begin to the gut which i think is a little bit extreme as a statement but that was a couple thousand years ago so we can say that now but if you think about it if you do work on the the digestion, the assimilation, the metabolism first, and then work out. So sometimes going back to what we we're talking about earlier, as a general tip, first appointment, you may just have a look at a diet. Yeah. And I break was. it down and do that just quickly and yeah. get them back in a week, for example. Yeah. Don't have to wait two weeks, a month or anything. And that cuts down the appointment times as more frequency but less time at each one. Absolutely. As a good start, just to sort of say, right, here's your diet, this is what's happening and this is the foundations of what we need to do next. And then from there we can actually play a big role for okay there's the chippy chips and carby carbs and, and everything else like that what else is happening with this person's diet and whatever elements are they actually working with and that's yeah, how they're eating that's something we'll talk about in i think episode three or something like that yeah we'll talk about how they actually are eating whether it's the kind of shoveling it in or actually taking their time and just general you know stress the physiological metabolic pathways. So think of dysregulation of glucose and insulin, the tryptophan pathways, again, the serotonin. These all play a role in that HPA axis. So the stress axis that we'll talk more about on a different time, that plays a very big role as well because that's something we've known about since the HPA axis and how it works and how it actually really has this up and down effect on the body. It plays a very big role with foundations of how we deal with stress. Going back to what, how we started the episode today, the podcast, thyroid function, because if you think of thyroid, if you're not metabolizing and have a lot of energetic pathways working effectively, you generally will feel tired. And in Australia, they're looking at, I don't know the percentage offhand, but it's quite a few, just pretend it's 20, I can't remember the number. There's 20%, two out of every 10 people have some kind of thyroid imbalance just based on their life. They're not getting enough sleep. They're not eating well. They're not eating the right nutrients. They're deficient, etc. And it's just hidden by not feeling tired. So some of these symptoms are just saying I'm not feeling tired, but there's actually a bigger signpost saying, hang on, stop there. It's more to it than that. General stress, which we'll talk more about later. Socioeconomic factors, everyone worries about money. It's an automatic now. 
in my business, which money is a factor. Um, I don't really don't need to ask. It's people's private business. But in your mind, you can always think about most people are struggling with just different inflation and loan deposits and anything else like that, rent repayments, I should say, that all these elements are just playing in the background. So people can't always afford everything they need. And if they're coming to see you as a health professional, they've actually gone without something first a lot of the time to come and see you. So we should always take that into account. Oxidative stress, inflammation, all these sort of background firing kind of things happening. And then it's sort of, it's very interesting how each one of these, I just keep thinking, singly, they're not good. Together, they're worse. And all together, it's like a volcano. It's too much all at once. And that's where some people will come and see you where that straw on the back broke. And I had a patient many, many years ago that cancelled the first couple of appointments. And I'm like, well, most people would say, right, no more bookings, you know, they haven't turned up or they've cancelled last minute. And I just kept doing it. I just kept allowing the appointment because I just felt, you know, something wasn't right. And then one day when she finally arrived, her husband brought her in. And I'll use the word brought. Mm-hmm. Not carried her in, but sort of, yeah, had his arm around her to bring her in. And that's why they couldn't come because the journey for her, she had to drive over an hour and a half, for example, to get there. Well, he drove, I could say. But just the journey itself was too much for her body. And it's like her stress and her energy and everything was quite extreme. So I'm glad I sort of kept, you know, booking her back in when the appointment came through. And it was a seal appointments and you build up and then he starts coming in. The husband was always with us because he was a good, very good support, actually. And then one day, it's like the sixth appointment, she came in. She was very, very excited. And I'm like, why? And she said, well, I used to be anxious going on the highway. So we used to drive the long way as well. So she drove longer. Well, he drove longer because of the highway with anxiety for her. Found out later on she was in a car accident when she was young. That sort of helped with a little nervous system control. And they went on the highway for the first time and got there a bit quicker. And I went, that's great. It's fantastic. And then it was two appointments later. She was really excited. I'm like, what could this be? This is like really exciting. Drove. So her husband was still in the car, but yeah. she actually drove the car this time while she was always the passenger or couldn't get in, kind of thing. So he'd have to do extra things for her. So that was a quite exciting journey for her to see that. And I was very excited to see that someone changed from zero appointment yeah. to missing all of those appointments. My hand was off camera then, but my hand was actually up. Isn't that sort of Missing all those appointments and sort of yeah. coming in, it's Quite exciting to see. So I think what we might do is on the note of that client, we might close this today's podcast because we are coming back and we're going to see you again next week. Either just listen to you on the podcast or of course on the YouTube channel, which is why you're referring to off screen in your hand. <laughs> I think we might close it there because it's a brilliant story and I think that can leave us all on a high. That I mean, I've had clients like that too. And it and when you're starting out, seeing those clients coming back, you haven't had that necessarily yet. And it that first time they come back and they just say, Wow, I feel amazing. This has happened. And sometimes it's really small. That one, you know, the first one, hey, we got to go on the on the motorway. And you might think to yourself, Well, honey, you know, that's not a very big but that's amazing for her and that's mm. incredible. And we need to congratulate these clients. And I need to put these words in here so that people get it. We never say, I'm so proud of you. Because that means they're waiting for affirmation from someone else. When you're, something like this happens, we say to the person, you should be so proud of yourself because they get the affirmation from themselves. So just a little bit of wording right there at the end when that client does come in and say, wow, look at these changes. Because we need to congratulate them because yeah, we're helping them. 
but they're doing the hard yards at home. They're the ones who are changing the diet. They're the ones who are taking the supplements. They're the ones who are going outside in the sunshine. They're the ones who are making those momentous steps to get into the car or whatever it is. So thank you so much for today. Uh, It's absolutely brilliant. And I'm sure myself and everybody else is looking forward to next week's episode when we will be digging that little bit deeper and looking at the vital role of nutrition itself in mental health. So I look forward to seeing you next week. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me today. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast for the weekly episodes. If you'd like even more support and learning, then the Academy is for you. Here you'll find part two of the herbal discussions, more clinical learning and case studies to support your clients in practice. Bye for now.